And finally, I don't know at what point, but at, at some point, I finally figured out, you know, until we get to glory, this is going to be a struggle. It's going to be a fight. It's going to be against the current. It's going to be uphill all the way. It's going to always be seasons of freshness and seasons of desert. And so we just have to know that God's going to give us grace for whatever season it is. And fight, fight, fight. Never quit fighting for that joy in you. Welcome back to the Small Town Summit Podcast. I am Ben Whittinghill. Thanks so much for tuning in, whether you're on a drive or uh, giving us your exercise time. It's a blessing that you would allow us to encourage you. Today's guest uh, is also from outside New England. So two weeks ago, we went over to the UK and heard from John Hindley. And today's guest is from Frisco City, Alabama. It's a pastor named Mark McCullough. We uh, were introduced to Mark through reading his chapter in Faithful Endurance, The Joy of Shepherding People for a Lifetime, edited by Colin Hansen and Jeff Robinson Sr. And Mark wrote a chapter in that book called, Does Staying in a Small Rural Church Make Me a Failure? Mark has pastored for over 30 years and is just a gracious, gracious man, full of wisdom. I was so blessed by this conversation, and I'm praying that the Lord would use it to enrich you and your ministry as well. Mark, thank you so much for your willingness to join us on the podcast. How are you? Doing fine. So good to be here. Oh, it's a joy to uh, get you on. And uh, for people that don't know you or much about your ministry, we always like to start with an introduction. Um, so how did you come to Christ and how have you uh, served him? Where are you serving him now? Tell right. us a little bit about yourself. Right. Well, I, I was born into a pastor's home all my life. My dad, you know, was my pastor and he was a faithful pastor, uh, one who uh, set me a good example of always growing all the way to the end, finishing strong, um, difficult ending with cancer, but just glorified God in an amazing way, you know, in his, in his last days. And uh, so, you know, I, I was, the, the gospel was poured into me by my dad and mom, you know, in the early years. And um, I think I was, 12 or 13 years old when I was converted. Uh, it was at a youth camp. Uh, I heard the gospel preached that week, and I know it was exactly the same gospel I'd been hearing since infancy. But God's grace was so wonderful. It just, it's like it all just came together that week mm. and, and gripped my heart. And, uh, and I, I trusted Christ. And that really was such a relief because in the six or so months leading up to that, I was miserable with conviction. I'd come to a point about six months prior to my conversion that I, I really had a lot of doubts about whether God even existed or not. And uh, that didn't last too long. I became aware that he certainly existed and that I was certain that I did not know him personally. And I really wasn't quite sure what to do. And so uh, it was just a period of seeking and crying out. And uh, again, in God's good time, you know, he, he just brought the gospel home to my mind and heart. And I just collapsed in the arms of Christ and had a peace come over me like nothing, you know, it was wonderful. And, uh, and it's never left hmm. and a lot of ups and downs, you know, 
as you well know, but, uh, but that sense of peace just always been there. Uh, as far as call to the ministry, um, I, uh, I was a, a freshman in college, Stetson University, the land, Florida. And uh, I was actually studying. <laughs> I was pre-med at the time because I had, uh, I had signed on to become a medical missionary. I thought that that would be a great way to serve the Lord, to be a medical missionary. Because I was raised on it, you know, hearing all the missionary stories and, and admiring missionaries. But it really wasn't a very wise decision because I, I realized uh, there that uh, I'd always hated math and science and they had always been my worst subjects. <laughs> and so I said, this, this is probably not a good fit. And one night, again, God is so gracious. One night in my dorm room, I was just absolutely overwhelmed with a, uh, a craving is the only way I can put it just an intense craving uh, to devote my life to studying the word and, and teaching God's word to people. Now, I, I remember having this sense that if I could not do that, I would just die. <laughs> and uh, instantly enough, though, I, I did not feel led immediately to pursue the pastorate. Um, I... Uh, Finished college and, and was in a church at my dad's church. I was working for textile industry and uh, I had a wonderful ministry uh, teaching uh, young adults and uh, just teaching through books of the Bible expositionally and loving that. Uh, not feeling led to pursue actually being a pastor quite yet, but that was always my dream is that one day he would let me be a pastor. And uh, I guess it was, it was, I was about your age. I was about 35 when uh, I, you know, all through those years, you know, from say 21, 22 to 35, I was always involved in local church ministry, always involved in the word, teaching the word, trying to be, uh, trying to minister in the context where the Lord had me. And then when I was about 35, I started, uh, I came to a point where the Lord gave me the green light in a sense, you know, now's the time. And, uh, through a good friend who had been one of my pastors, uh, he asked if he could recommend me to the church where I am now. Because the church he grew up in, actually. And uh, I said, well, I trust your judgment. If you feel led to do that, you know, please do. He said, well, I need a resume to send to them. And I said, the only resume I have is my business resume. He said, well, give me that. <laughs> and so I sent it to him. And uh Six or eight months went by and I didn't hear anything. And I figured, well, that's the end of that. And uh, it's a long story. I'll try to make it real short. When, they, when the church had gotten my business resume, they looked at it and said, this is nothing to do with ministry. This is a mistake. And they had basically trashed it. <laughs> and then through the providence of God, about six, eight months later, uh, they went back and found it and pulled it out. I think it probably turned yellow by then. And they blew the dust off of it. Uh, they end up calling, uh, and uh, my wife and I came up on a Tuesday night, I think, and, and met some of the folks. And anyway, we ended up coming here in 1990, and we've been so pleased and privileged to be here ever since. And it just gets better and better, and we love it. It's a, just a joy. Oh, it's so encouraging. And I tell you, it's so, uh, it's such a blessing to hear of the Lord's faithfulness and Him drawing you to Himself in His own time. And mm. even growing up in a Christian home, you know, I've got 
five sons and wow my greatest desire is that they would come to christ and you always pray yes. for them to come to christ at an early age but i'm yes my mom was just reminding me the other day you know it's paul says in galatians 1 when he was pleased to reveal his son in me and it can happen at five and it can happen at 12 and it can happen in, in your 20s or in your 80s it's just encouraging to see <laughs> you know you saying i grew up hearing these things and yes being invested in me but then the lord lit the flame and i've been his ever since and so amen amen pray, praise the lord for that um so brother how i first heard your name was stephen whitmer referenced this chapter in a book and this book was called faithful endurance uh compiled by jeff robinson and you wrote a chapter in that book and the title of it is does staying in a small rural church make me a failure which right. totally wouldn't relate to anybody listening to this episode, right? <laughs> Nobody's ever felt that way ministering in a small town. So we can just shut down this episode. <laughs> um, now I've been so blessed and I, you know, recommend the book to anybody listening. Uh, but I'd like to ask you a little bit about the content, but before we get there, how did you come to write this chapter? Because it even begins with a hypothetical letter to an obscure pastor you know, how, how did they find you as the hypothetical obscure pastor to, to write this? Tell us a little bit about that process. I guess they looked up obscure in the dictionary and my picture was there. I'm not sure. <laughs> no, uh, actually, uh, Jeff Robinson, one of the uh, editors of that book, uh, was a good friend of my son, Matt, when they were in seminary together at uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And I had met uh, Jeff through Matt uh, through the years, you know, some different conferences that we had all been to together. And uh, so he just called and uh, told me a little bit about the book and then about this particular chapter, what he had in mind for it. And I guess, uh, you know, picturing that scenario, he knew that I had kind of been in that situation a lot of, for a lot of years in a small place. And he thought I might want to speak to that. And, and, uh, and I was privileged to. Well, it is a great, a great chapter and I think really deals with a, a topic that a lot of guys wrestle with, or if you don't mm. wrestle with it initially, uh, over time, yeah. serving Jesus faithfully in a small place, you can wonder, am I, am I somehow being a failure? Here you mm. are, Frisco City, Alabama, town of 1,200 people. Does it matter? Does it matter as much as somewhere where guys are ministering in a city of a million people? How did you go about answering that question? Well, you know, I never, I can't say I've ever struggled with that because I rest, you know, in the sovereignty of God and I, I, I have every confidence that he put me here mm. and, uh, and I trust his wisdom. And so I'm just grateful to, to be uh, able to be a pastor anywhere he would put me uh, because um, it's the greatest work that any man could ever be called to. And, uh, and I just, I'm just so grateful for it. In the chapter, you talk about, uh, really battling a discontentment, finding mm. contentment in these different ways, but I love just even your initial answer and the way that you begin is it's really a humble joy. So you talk a lot about joy in knowing God, joy in, uh, being known by him and making him known but it really is a battling of discontentment uh, 
with a joy, just hearing you say that at the outset, you're just mindful of the grace of God and the greatness mm. and the kindness of God. Yes. I don't, I don't deserve to pastor anywhere. Right. What a privilege. So talk a little bit about some of the, the content of this chapter in this book and how it's helped you in a faithful endurance for small town ministry. Well, so, sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, really, the, the chapter is autobiographical. Hmm. Uh, it's not a chapter that I had to, to research and, and compile material put together. It's basically just telling my story and what I've experienced and how the Lord has helped me and the work he's done in my heart to enable me to keep serving him. Um, and, uh, and my story basically is that I find my contentment first and foremost in him. You know, I have to. The first thing I have to focus on, this is me personally, I have to focus on my relationship with him, with, with always working to cultivate a deeper intimacy with him, a deeper uh, closeness, and deeper joy in him. Uh, and uh, because if I know that, if I know him personally, and he, he's filling my cup, so to speak, there's a fullness there that, that, that causes me not to really spend any time uh, worrying about the fact that not too many other people in the world know I'm even here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and not only knowing him, but the joy of knowing that he knows me. There again, I think maybe some guys uh, struggle with the fact that, you know, what I'm doing can't mean much because I'm in this tiny place, this wide spot in the road. Uh, nobody's aware of my gifts. In fact, I'll tell you, I remember one time uh, I was on vacation and I, I pulled off the interstate and went through a little town that my dad was pastoring when I was born. And I went and found the pastorium, the, the same house that I had been brought home to as an infant, as a newborn. And I met a guy, the pastor, he was out in the yard working in a little garden that he had. And I introduced myself. And uh, it was really sad. It was really sad because he, he was a nice guy. I'm sure he was a great pastor. But most of the content of what he was sharing with me was that it was just a shame that uh, with the gifts that God had given him and the dreams that he had for ministry that he was still stuck there. Mm. And, and I didn't, maybe I should have said something. I didn't, I, I just came away feeling so sorry for the lack of contentment there. But what helps me. And I wrote about this is that uh, just knowing that God knows me, he knows mm. everything about me. I'm his son. I'm his child. He's brought me to himself He's watching me every moment of every day. He's always with me. I'm never alone. And, and the fact that he's watching over me, <laughs> that's all I need. How could I want more than that? I mean, that's everything to me. Mm. And then, uh, you know, that's, well, that's one key that helps me, you know, fight for contentment and joy because it is a fight. I don't think it comes naturally. Uh, but just fighting to, again, to know God as closely as I can to savor the fact that he knows me, that's first and foremost. But then um, what has helped me is to, is to put all my attention and my focus then on, on making sure that others know God 
Mm-hmm. doesn't matter if anybody knows me or not, but it means everything to every person in the world, whether or not they know God. And, uh, and so what a joy it is, you know, to, to be in his word day by day in our own life and then to have the privilege um, in our uh, teaching ministry uh, in various shapes and forms that that takes just to point others to God, just to tell others from the word how wonderful he is, how gracious he is, how magnificent his gospel is, just to get, um, uh, as, as John Piper would say, just to get intoxicated with the mm-hmm. glories of the gospel and, that, and, just, uh, and just exult in that, you know, with our people and with others. Uh, you know, when we, to the extent that I can focus on being sure that other people know how wonderful God is, it never really has a chance to even enter my mind how many people uh, know me. And then the uh, the third thing that I that I wrote about that again it's just my my own story is uh, that I found that if I if I receive the the wonderful people that God has given to me um, as gifts from God and and just put all my energies into knowing them. Uh, again, if, if I just, uh, you know, pray for them and try to love them and care for them, minister to them, you know, as, as I, as I can, um, that if, then if my focus is on knowing others well, uh, to understand their needs and to, and to minister, you know, the word in Christ to them, that, uh, that I don't really have time to, uh, again, think about whether or not, you know, anybody knows me. <laughs> and uh, those three things, you know, focusing on knowing God and being known by him, uh, focusing on making God known to others, and then focusing on really trying to know our people as well as possible and to care for them as well as possible. Uh, you know, I think that brings a contentment and a joy uh, and I think I might have written this somewhere in the chapter. It brings a joy and contentment that uh, that nothing else can give. It brings a joy and contentment that no amount of notoriety could ever bring us, and no amount of obscurity can ever begin to take away from us. Mm-hmm. It's it's an all sufficient contentment that we have in God uh, when our focus is on those things. At least that's been my experience. That's my story, my testimony. Mm-hmm. I remember um, just being really young, really idealistic and looking at Job being the most righteous man on the face Mm. of the planet and being like, oh, Lord, I want to be that. Like, how does somebody get to be that? And you still you have, you know, these godly ambitions that he puts in your heart where you just want to have this impact. And so I think for some guys, uh, one of the challenges is maybe it's not notoriety, but it's like I want to be useful in the kingdom and I want my life to count for Jesus' yes. namesake. Yes. But it's so easy for our godly ambitions to get tangled up with selfish ambitions, yes. you know, where it's, I want Jesus to increase, but I was just reading, uh, I think yesterday where James and John are coming to Jesus and they're saying, Hey, when you get to your glory, can we be on your right hand, your left? Right. So yeah. These are spiritual guys. You know, it's like, Hey, it's still your glory. We're not talking about yeah. our glory, Jesus, it's your yeah. glory, but we just want to have a prominent place in your glory, if that's cool with you. Yes. And, uh, you know, he tells them they don't know what they're asking for. And it's not, mm. it's not, 
it's not for him to give them in that moment, but yeah. How, how did you do that? So sort of maybe notoriety or desire of being known by other people aside, because you're yeah. right that we, we know that we have to do nothing from selfish ambition or empty right. conceit, but how did you uh, kind of untangle that desire for maximum impact with contentment and realizing the impact that matters is being where Jesus has placed me. Did you, right. you ever battle that over the last 30 years and trying to figure that through, or has it just been his grace on you where you've just been content? I, I would say, and it's definitely his grace, but I would say it's um, from day one, I just was beside myself that he would let me be a pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I would wake up and I still do. I still do Ben. Almost every day I wake up sort of pinching myself that I can't believe that I get to do this as a life's work <laughs> mm. because it's such such a privilege and joy. Mm. Uh, and so I never really I never really wrestled with uh, a desire for notoriety. Uh, I can certainly see and I think it's a wonderful thing and I would applaud it. Someone that wants to be used to be a blessing in as many lives as possible. And God gives men some wide-ranging ministries, and I rejoice in that. I think that's a wonderful thing. But I just, I guess I've always had just a a deep sense that God's in charge of that, and I I can trust him with that. Uh, You know, if he he has another place for me, he'll show me, he'll move me, and I'll be be willing to go. But I've never just uh, felt like I had to have it in order uh, for my sense of well-being, mm. because again, God, he's so wise and he knows the best place for me. And, and I trust him with that. Amen. Yeah. I think about, um, when Jesus is restoring Peter and Peter's mm. looking across the way at John and he says, what about this man? And then Jesus says, well, if it's my desire for him to remain until I come, what is that yes. to you? But then he says these words, what is that to you? you follow me. And I thought about that a lot in terms of ministry, uh, when you're tempted to like look across or compare. And he says, what is that to you? And then Mm. to think about Paul's language that some water, some plant, uh, but God gives the growth and, and, and the one who waters and plants do not anything. Um, it's God who gives the growth, but it's as, as the Lord assigns to each. And so it has to do with assignment. Amen. Um, that's a huge key to contentment is knowing, all right, this is where Jesus wants me. Yes. Even if it's, um, if it's what I might define as smaller impact, it's the smaller impact that he has for me. And it's what's pleasing to him. So I can rest in that. Mm. But how did you know that you're to stay in Frisco city for 30 years? And did you ever get an itch or were you curious if you had to, you to pastor someone else? How would you counsel a guy discerning through that as far as my own situation i've never really had an itch to leave i've always known that i must be willing to leave at a moment's notice if that's the lord's will um there have been a a few times not many uh there have been a few times through the years that another church would make inquiries and uh, in each one of those times, I would I would ask for some time to pray, and uh, I would try to give it serious prayer. 
trying to be open, saying, no, Lord, if this is you, I mean, if you're about to move me, if this is your will, then, then please show me. Uh, because I know God does move me, and obviously, I mean, that's obvious. Uh, but in my case, uh, each time that I would pray like that, I would always be given just a deep sense from him that, no, I've got you where I want you for now. So just stay where you are till further notice. <laughs> and, uh, and it's hard to believe it's been, you know, 30 plus years, but uh, it's uh, it has been. It is a beautiful, you know, Stephen talks about different people's ministries being see-through to the gospel in a different way and you mm. being in one place for 30 years with joy and contentment says so much about the goodness of God and the worth of Jesus and his love for people. Um, mm. And it's so encouraging uh, and challenging to hear you saying, man, the key to that contentment was just, I just had this humble joy. I'm like blown away that mm. Jesus would let me do this. So my, my question I think getting at that, because that's the heart that we need. Um, but that heart you said doesn't come naturally. You have to cultivate that. That's, that's Christ being formed in you. So what were mm. some of the most valuable disciplines of keeping your heart happy in Jesus and humble before him over these last 30 years? Like how would uh, you counsel pastors for keeping their love like fervent and hot yeah, and faith? Yeah, because it is a battle. You know, uh, you know, I, I wake up and have, uh, you know, from the beginning with a hard, cold heart every day. <laughs> and I have to I have to go to him. You know, uh, I think of the, that really familiar example, you know, of George Mueller, who said that his first priority every morning was to get his soul happy in God. And that that registered with me when I first read it. And I've never gotten away from it. Mm. But. You know, just and nothing fancy for me, just the basics, just ample time uh, in the mornings with the Lord, uh, in the word, uh, you know, no set time. I don't think we need to get legalistic about it, but it has to have a, for me, my time with the Lord has to have an unhurried quality about it. Yeah. Um, I need to have uh, ample time for prayer and reflection. Uh, you know, I love Tim Keller's book on prayer uh, because it describes what's been my experience through the years. It, it's a it's a two way communication. The Lord speaks to us through the word and we we pour our hearts out to him in prayer. Mm. It's a two way conversation. And uh, and I just find that I have to linger uh, before the Lord, uh, praying for him to warm my heart again and to renew and refresh my spirit. Um, uh, part of what I do that really helps me, and I, I think it helps my preaching ministry too, is that it's, I didn't really set out to do this, but just in the, the patterns of prayer uh, over the years, uh, I find myself in prayer and interacting with the word each morning, whatever passage it happens to be, uh, just to, to look at um, Again, this is a killer, Tim Keller grid for sermon preparation, but, but look for the meaning of the passage, uh, look for the application. 
what is what is the Lord, Lord, what are you calling me to do uh, in response to your word here? And then to look for my failures and confess my failures and how I'm not applying this. Uh, and then look for how does Christ fulfill the theme of this passage? And, and just to, to look to Christ and then just, just savor Christ. And in my time with him, just to thank him that, that because of who he is and what he's done, all of my failures to measure up to this passage are fully forgiven. And I have been given credit in the sight of my heavenly father for all of Jesus' perfect fulfillment of this passage. Wow. And as I savor those kind of thoughts, Ben, uh, Another way of putting this, and it's not nothing is original with me, <laughs> but it's really preaching the gospel to myself every morning. That's what gives me that that um, that warm heart and that joy in Christ, that contentment in Him, and that is what fuels my ministry. I could not minister. I could not be worth anything to people. I couldn't preach. I couldn't do anything if first and foremost. Um, the Lord didn't draw me close to himself and, and flood my heart with a sense of his nearness. I've got to have that. If I don't have that, I am miserable. I cannot live without that. And I'm so thankful, Ben, for the spiritual gift of misery, because if I begin to drift the least little bit and, and, and grow cold uh, and sense distance between myself and the Lord, uh, he, he makes me so miserable <laughs> and I come running, running, running to him in the word and in prayer to reestablish that connection, to find my joy in him. Because that the joy that he gives me in him, that is the strength of my ministry. And uh, it's worth fighting for. It's a fight. You know, I, I don't know about you, Ben, but earlier in my Christian life, I used to go through phases where in my devotional life, I would, uh, I would hit a good, a good stretch where it was fresh every morning and vital, and I was alert, and insights from Scripture would just jump off the page, and I would say to myself, I've arrived, <laughs> I've <laughs> arrived, and then, you know, it wouldn't be too long before I would go back into a, a, a season of uh, sort of a, a dead feeling, not so alert, just kind of lethargic and dull, where there was a struggle and a battle. And I said, oh, well, I haven't arrived. And, uh, and finally, I don't know at what point, but at, at some point, I finally figured out, you know, until we get to glory, this is going to be a struggle. It's going to be a fight. It's going to be against the current. It's going to be fighting uphill all the way. There's going to always be seasons of freshness and seasons of desert. And, uh, and so we just have to know that God's going to give us grace for whatever season it is and fight, 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 and never quit fighting for that joy in him. Hmm. Well, that is so good and encouraging. Uh, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I have like a million no. more questions for you, but um, I am curious what, you would say to pastors who right now, when they think about ministry, uh, they think about one more person falling away, one more, mm. uh, one more ministry task. And they feel like yeah. if, if I just have one more yeah. uh, criticism, 
then yeah. I don't know if I can make it. I just, I mainly, when I think about ministry, I just feel tired. Yeah. Well, yeah. how would you encourage that brother? Sure. Well, uh, I've been there. I've been there. Um, that is real. Uh, you know, and I've, I've shared with younger guys many different times that I'm convinced that ministry is the most painful work that a man can be called to and the most discouraging. Uh, I still insist that the joys far outweigh the pain and the discouragement, uh, but it's, uh, it's hard. And, uh, you know, I certainly would not want any guy who's there in a season of discouragement to, to feel like he's unusual or the Lone Ranger. I, I came from our uh, weekly pastor's gathering yesterday and uh, two brothers stood over in the corner. One guy that I know is going through horrific discouragement and another brother just trying to encourage him. And that's all around us. There's guys all around us with broken hearts, guys that love the Lord and want to serve and want to be a blessing to their people and love their people. And yet they're in tough, tough places. And, uh, and I've been there more than once in, in my time when, uh, when I thought I was probably going to have to leave. And uh, when those times came, you know, I just, uh, I just uh, tried to first and foremost be sure that I didn't try to pull any strings or orchestrate or do anything political to stay here, but just rest in the Lord and, and say, Lord, you know, if you're going to keep me here, you'll keep me here. If you're going to move me, you're going to move me, but just rest in it. And knowing that if he does move us, uh, and we have to, a, lot, a lot of men, a lot better than me, have had to leave one venue of ministry to change over to another. Um, and so we just trust the Lord with that. But as far as the discouragement, um, the first and foremost thing for me, I would say, other than what we've spoken of earlier, is my wife. God has given me the most wonderful wife uh, imaginable. And uh, our marriage, by his grace, has just grown sweeter and stronger through the years. We're more in love than we ever have been. And she's my confidant, my friend, my best friend. She's my encourager. She keeps me propped up. She keeps me patched up. And if it weren't for Amy, I, I would have had to fold it up a long time ago. So, you know, concentrate on the marriage, lean on one another, especially since our wives probably hurt more than we do when we're going through times of discouragement. Uh, and then brothers in, in Christ, especially pastor brothers, uh, don't, don't fight these battles alone. Talk to somebody. Um, and then I think it's something that's helped me a lot with discouragement is to remember that the ultimate triumph of this cause that we're a part of is not in question. Jesus said, I will build my church and he is doing that and he's going to do that. And so whatever happens with us in our particular situations, we're a part of a work that can't fail. And we're promised that our labors will not be in vain in the Lord. It's not possible that any of our labors, if we're serving him best we know, trusting him, it's not possible that our labors will be in vain. Um, fruit will come, uh, even if we never see it in our lifetimes, the fruit will come. I, I remember uh, Mark Dever at uh, Together for the Gospel, I forget what year it was, but he quoted an old Puritan 
and said, the seeds that we sow may lie under the earth until we do, <laughs> mm -hmm. and then spring up. So we might not see the fruit of our labors. I mean, God basically told Isaiah and Jeremiah that uh, they would see little to nothing in the way of fruit, and yet they labored on faithfully. And, uh, and so that's important. But the, the work, the, the ultimate victory of Christ is not in question. So in, in that sense, we cannot fail if we're in him. Uh, and then one of the most important things, Ben, that I would stress to a guy that's in a difficult season, this has been my experience, is just try to understand that typically these seasons of discouragement do not last. Mm. They do not last. You know, churches are, are like are families and churches go through season. You'll, you'll go through a season um, where everybody loves everything. They love everything about you. They love everything about everybody else. They love everything about the church and everything is happy. <laughs> and I found that you don't need to get too excited when that happens because it's probably not going to last. But then when you get in a season where it seems like everybody's just kind of disgruntled about everything and unhappy about everything, and there's just kind of a uh, you know, that underlying uh, malcontent or whatever in the fellowship. Don't get too discouraged about that either. That's not, that's probably in all likelihood, that's not going to last either. God's going to bring the church out of that. He's going to bring you out of it. Some of the sweetest, most fruitful seasons of ministry that we have ever had here have come right after some of the most dry and difficult and discouraging seasons. And, and I've seen so many of my dear pastor brothers through the years uh, that, uh, again, I'm not God, obviously, but I've seen a lot of good men that would be going through a difficult time in the life of their church. And, uh, and they've just, they've just bailed and, and uh, either gotten out of the ministry or, or just, pull out all the stops to get to another location, thinking that that greener pasture would be better. And, and I and I just felt, and I've shared it when there'd been opportunity, but uh, that hasn't always been possible. But um, I've just, I've just felt like, brother, you know, if you could just, if you just hung on a while longer, I really think that would, that this will turn around mm -hmm. and you'll be in for some good, good years. And so, um, so just I would I say to the discouraged brother, understand the seasonal nature of ministry. You know, when the tide goes out, we think it's never going to come back in, but it is, it is. You just wait, <laughs> just wait, and uh, and and it'll come back in. Mm. That's a good word. So, so this the uh, be ready in season and out of season. Yes. And I'm, I'm preaching through the life of Joseph right now. And wow, it just stands out so much in the midst of just 22 years of waiting on the Lord for a promise. Mm. Wow. And all those scriptures, it's way easier for us to preach through. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait yeah. on the Lord. Yeah. Um, and here you see these Moses saying, but the Lord was with him, but the Lord was yes. with him. Yes. But I just imagine if I emerged from jail in those moments, um, you know, it would be so easy for us to carry a grudge or to be bitter or to be angry with God or to finally yes. see your brothers and to 
to want to take vengeance into your own hands. And it's so yes. moving to see him say, this was the Lord the whole time. Yes. The hard thing was the Lord. This yes. good thing's the Lord. And it is, uh, the Lord just leaves it to us to humble ourselves before him and let him decide when the proper time is. When's the yes. proper time? Come. Yes. But Amen. It's encouraging for him to hear you say from a standpoint of 30 years of pastoral ministry, that proper time comes. These seasons do turn over and, uh, yeah. and you see him bring you in and out. And, uh, I think it's important for us to realize that those hard seasons are from the Lord too. Yes, indeed. And they have a purpose, don't they? They sure do. And it's so, I don't think there's any more encouraging verse than, um, than hearing you say, knowing that the, your labors and the Lord are not in vain. Right. We need that. Amen. It's so bad. I mean, I know I've been in a season where you just, you have a, a year or two where you look at your labors and you are trying to stare at fruit and yes, you, you need to mainly be staring at those promises. Yes, exactly. I agree. Totally. So, well, brother, thank you so much for your example and, uh, in faithfully staying married, loving your wife. And I told you this before we got on this call, just, it's so encouraging to me to see a man who's been in pastoral ministry, still loving Jesus, still serving him faithfully, still married. And uh, mm. we're so thankful for your example and your encouragement today. Amen. Well, it's a, it, it gets better and better as the years go by. And, uh, and I thank you for today, Ben. There's nothing more invigorating to me than a, than a, a conversation like this with a fellow pastor, you know, just to savor together the goodness of God in this way. It's been a great joy to me. Well, thank you again so much for your time. Take care, brother. Take care. God bless you. I'm so thankful to Mark for his example and for his time today and to you for your time today, savoring God and his gospel together. That's what we want this podcast to be. Pray that's what it was for you today and that you are freshly encouraged that in the Lord, your labors are not in vain and he will strengthen us by his spirit for a faithful endurance with joy. Hey, if this podcast was an encouragement to you, uh, it would bless us if you would go share it with friends, with other people in ministry, serving Jesus in small places. Leave us a review on iTunes. Go to our website, sign up for the articles, and give us ideas for future podcast episodes. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you.